Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, August 27th, we are studying Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. As Solomon continues to exhort his son to receive his teaching, the text once again plainly reminds us that wisdom is not only a matter of practical advice for this life. Instead, true wisdom is found in a right trust in the Lord. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz. Pastor Agrotowitz serves as Associate Pastor and Headmaster of Grace Lutheran Church in Brenham, Texas. Pastor Agrotowitz, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. It's great to be here as always. So as we get started this morning, Pastor Agrotowitz, let's let's talk just the book of Proverbs as a whole, maybe an overview. Context isn't quite the same as it is with narratives when you're dealing with wisdom literature. Sometimes there's there's not quite the same connections, but it's not completely out of the picture. What are some of the thematic elements as we look at this text as a whole? What do we need to know going in? Yeah, it's the one book where you can prove text and take a verse in isolation and use it and probably be just spot-on right using it, because there are a lot of verses in here, beginning, you know, I'd say around chapter 10, that uh, don't don't seem connected to one another. Sometimes that's the case, sometimes it's not. Um, it's got a lot of great one-liners in it that are good for Christians to memorize. In terms of, like, themes of Proverbs, Proverbs is about wisdom, and if you had to isolate it to one central point, that's what I would do with it. It's a book of wisdom. The first nine chapters, the the text, the theme of wisdom really just jumps out at you, and the one-liners um, really pick up in chapter 10, where there you just start seeing these, these little uh, sayings that Solomon gives us that are certainly connected to the first nine chapters when it just opens up, describing wisdom, and really the Holy Spirit calling us to pay attention as he describes wisdom, calls us to listen to wisdom and seek it from God. And then, you know, as I said, you go into chapter 10, and you get more of that wisdom. Wisdom, It's just not in, in, in long narrative form as much in the first nine chapters. But simply put, it's a book that is wonderful and in instructing us how to live, and yet it's also a book that points very clearly to our Lord Jesus Christ in some specific places, and we're going to get to one of those places today in chapter 3. Mm, yeah, we'll see one of those very—that's uh, a good way of putting it. Particularly as we get to the end of this text, there's going to be one of those spots where you just can't miss Christ. So let's let's go ahead. We've got quite a bit of text to look at today. So we're in Proverbs 3, beginning at verse 1. Solomon writes, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, 
and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, and as a father, the son in whom he delights. We'll pause there. That was the first 12 verses of chapter 3. Pastor Grotto, it's one of the things that we see right away. is something that we have seen previously in Proverbs, and it keeps coming up, particularly in these first nine chapters. Solomon is addressing my son, he writes. So how do we need to understand that term, my son? Yeah, it's a filial way of speaking, acknowledging a particular relationship. Of course, if you call somebody a son, you're referring to them as being your child. So Solomon is speaking in a very fatherly way to the hearer. Of course, we're all sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ, so we can't miss that, that we are children of our Heavenly Father. And Solomon here, you know, is speaking in that manner. So the relationship is, is very intimate in this way. Uh, talking to a hearer as if he is a his, his very own son. So we see ourselves as God's children. We call upon God, Heavenly Father, uh, when we pray to Him and so forth. I think, too, when I see this, my son, you know, I, I, can't, I can't help but think that in society at one time, and this is my opinion, Pastor Apple, and maybe others have experienced it differently, but it seems to me at one time this language of sonship used just in society between an older man and a younger man was more prevalent than it is today, where an older man would almost take under his wing when talking to a younger man, giving him advice or reproof, a way to show that, hey, I care about you, son, and I want you to do the right thing. Whereas today, you know, if you called a younger person son, you might be more inclined to hear them say something like, I'm not your son. And of course, they're missing the point. The reason an older man would call you that is because he's, he's taking on the role of a father and being very fatherly towards you to help you or to give you some guidance. Now, at least that is here in Proverbs. More so, I would say, this sonship insofar as Solomon is speaking to ones who hear and are children of God because they live by faith and the wisdom that uh, God is giving. So really a lot there in that my son phrase, and it shows up a lot in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. This is a, a slight tangent, Pastor Agrotowitz, but but maybe I'll let you just mention it one more. That 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 reticence that is there today of of this sort of language that, you know, if, if I were to speak to a, a person who's not my son, like my son, and say that, and that be rejected, I, I wonder if that says more about our rejection of fatherhood than it does about our rejection of of sonship. I, I don't know. You want to take a swing at that, or you just want to move on? <laughs> I'll take a crack. And I was thinking to myself in preparation of this, what if, what if Pastor Apple asks me, why is that language not common today? And I was I was trying to mull that over. And I think I think what you said is good, a rejection of fatherhood, and also maybe this real individualistic way of seeing ourselves where I am who I am, I can make it on my own, I don't need other people talking to me and telling me what to do. And it may also be that there are a lot of older men who just don't feel confident enough in themselves, or maybe they don't have this biblical background that causes them to see the importance of younger men, perhaps since that is lacking 
you know, people today just are, you know, reticent to speak in this language and take someone under their own wing if, in fact, they themselves are unstable and just not standing on some firm principles uh, like Christianity. So they, they, they just shy away from that language and, and just, just stay away from taking up the mantle of trying to help our youth. It could be a combination of those factors. Um, I think what you said about fatherhood, sure. I mean, an attack on fatherhood, even... Uh, you know this attack on men in society too. I know that's a that's a real that's a separate conversation, but I think my observation is correct, and that at the at the very least, we don't see this language being used like it was at one time, and there are there are probably multiple factors involved with that. Sure, yeah, and and that like I said, that's a bit of a tangent. So thanks for thanks for indulging that. Back back more to the text though. So Solomon again speaking to my son, and and not just his own biological son, but here speaking in a more fatherly, wider role to all who are sons of God in Christ Jesus. He he says, and again, this is this is going to sound very familiar with what we've been reading in Proverbs. Do not forget my teaching. Now, I, I believe, Pastor Agrado, it's that the word behind teaching there is Torah. Is that is that correct? And that's a sure. pretty key yeah, word in the Hebrew. Remind us of, of that word's importance. Yeah, you bet. Torah is huge. And oftentimes, it is translated as law in the Old Testament. But the, the translation that you read, um, I think you're reading out of the ESV, it says teaching, and that's that's better. Uh, my New King James Version goes with law, and, and though that's not wrong, the teaching here is the entire full counsel word of God, including law and gospel, the entirety of instruction, and you, you lose seeing it in its entirety if you just say it's law. So it's God's teaching given to us, law and gospel, everything that we need to hold on to and keep. Right, yeah, it's it's a it's a wider term than than law. Sometimes it is translated mm-hmm. that way, and it's certainly law is is part of it, but but that's not the fullness of the term. I've I've had other guests suggest uh, just God's word or even doctrine might be a helpful way of translating. Do not forget my doctrine. So uh, as long as we understand it as a wider thing, all of, all that God would give us within His His word, and not law in the very specific sense of commands and commands only. So, all right, so so don't forget my teaching. Instead, let your heart keep my commandments. And then, and now we get, get to some language that perhaps might make Lutherans a, a bit uncomfortable, because it, it almost sounds like God's going to reward us, and, and we don't, I don't know, I, I find that Lutherans <laughs> tend to be uncomfortable thinking about God rewarding me for my good behavior. That doesn't yes, sound yes. much like grace. How do we understand this promise that the Lord gives that when you when you keep his commands, you're going to have length of days, years of life. Sure. Well, we got to get over this idea that God doesn't give rewards. He does, and he promises them, and we shouldn't be afraid to talk about that. Now, he's rewarding us for things that he you know, instills in us. We do confess that when we do good works, they come from faith that God gives. So God is still behind the good things that we do, and it's uh, within his will to give good things as he sees fit. Uh, when we do them. I, I'm recalling a quote from Wather. I think it's in his Law and Gospel. I'd have to go dig it up, um, but it's something to the effect of God rewards us for the good works that he instills in us, something to that effect. Uh, but we shouldn't have any problems with uh, you know, acknowledging the Lord does reward his people. Now, where we get off the rails is when we, we start doing things more in a prosperity gospel sense. If I do this, then God will give me that, and our, our hearts and minds become focused on the temporal 
the temporal things instead of the heavenly things. That's not what we want to do. Or we become Christians because we just want the goodies that God gives, something to that effect. So that's one way of, of talking about this. Yes, God does give rewards, and that, that SEC fit, and that's, uh, we should have no problem with that. Uh, however, in this life, where we, we may bump up against the wall when looking at this is, there are many Christians who don't have these things. There are many faithful saints who have terrible health, or maybe they, they die very young. They don't have a long life. And a couple points on that. One, well, we don't keep his commandments as we should, and we do forget his teaching more often than we should. So if you are seeing these rewards based on how we do, well, we don't really do very good at keeping the law, keeping his commandments. We sin miserably against God's law every single day. And God is still gracious to give us good things out of grace, not because we have merited them. Uh, I mean, he gives us rewards for things that we have not deserved. And then the second point I would make is we need to see these eschatologically, meaning the full life, the full peace and restoration that we need to set our hearts and minds on is, of course, the life eternal in the presence of our Lord and our God. And we, we keep his commandments. We want to hold on to his law by faith. That's what faith does. It holds on. It keeps his word before us. And that, too, is in the heart of verse 1. We, we keep them by doing them, sure. We don't want to discount that. But the true essence of keeping these things is holding on to them by faith. And in this life, there will be ups and there will be downs. There will be good times and bad times. But the prize uh, the heavenly reward, that's where our hearts and minds should be, and that also, too, is embedded in verses 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that eschatological focus, that focus on, on the end that the Lord is bringing mm-hmm. us at his return is very important as we understand these. But so that—and I appreciate the, the fuller conversation, though, so that we don't completely spiritualize this either, that we do recognize that there are, in fact, earthly blessings— to keeping the Lord's commandments, to holding on to his word and trying to live according to it. I mean, this is oh, the, the catechism that's the the first art, not the first article, the first petition where we talk about hallowed be thy name, that we're asking that the Lord's word would be taught purely and that we as the children of God would live according to it. And that the Lord does bless us in the doing of his commands is certainly a scriptural thing. This is I don't know if I've mentioned it here on Sharper Iron before. I, I have in my own teaching here at Grace. So tell me what you think of this, Pastor Grotto. It's one of the ways that I will compare this to is is kind of like a, a vinyl record. So a, a vinyl record works by the, the needle going in the groove. And when the needle is in the groove, the music sounds pretty good. But when there's scratches or various problems with the disc, then or the, the record on your disc. I, I, I grew up with compact CDs, okay? So, not, but records are coming back from what I understand. When, when there's a scratch on the record, then the needle jumps around and the music doesn't sound quite as good. And, and I, I like to, to think of, of my life in the commands of God as the needle being in the groove. This is the way that God has designed my life. And when, when my life is in that groove, life tends to go well. Now, as you said, I mean, certainly life is marred by sin, and so it's not going to be be perfect. But it, it tends to go better, whereas when I'm purposely ignoring the Lord's commands and I'm scratching the record on my own, well, then my life, I'm not going to receive the good that the Lord intends because I'm purposely outside of the groove that he's given in his commands. What What do you think? Sure, I like that analogy a lot. I, I too, have heard that records are coming back 
that's neither here nor there. I like your point about being in the groove. And certainly, God's law, His instruction, we're going to go further and talk about, you know, being on the path and, and the right way and that kind of language of talking. When you veer from the path or the needle jumps the groove, you know, it's not going to be as pleasant. And so we need, we need to see the verse in light of that. An example I can think of, a, a temporal earthly example, the Lord, of course, speaks against drunkenness. If you drink and you continue to get drunk all the time, maybe you're not going to get caught by the police. Maybe you just, you're so good at doing it. You just never get called on the carpet, but you do it, you do it, you do it, ignoring what the Lord has said. And then one day you go to the doctor and you get some really, really bad news. Hey, you, you're, you've got a liver issue and it's not going to last. Your life is going to end pretty quickly. You know, as an example of living a life, you know, certainly outside the commandment of God and finally caught up with you. Or if you have a, a big problem with adultery, eventually it's going to catch up with you. Your marriage is going to collapse. Your children could become estranged from you, and all these bad things that are easy to connect to the sins that you have been doing, these outward manifest gross sins, because you willfully chose to abandon God's law and live unto yourself, as opposed to keeping God's law like uh, the Sixth Commandment, not to commit adultery, a commandment given to protect the sanctity of marriage, that you would live within the blessings of holy matrimony, and your kids would receive those blessings. These things are fairly easy to observe. And even as I'm talking about this, you know, all of us in here, every human being sins, sins against God's law every single day, but we can, we can talk about that original sin and the horrible consequences of that, and also to connect the dots between our sinful actions when we abandon God's law, when we jump the groove, and we begin scratching, scratching the record, it's just, it's just not good. And so that's a lesson for us, too. God's law is good and helpful for our lives. It should not be a burden. We should not look at it and say, oh, I hate this. What is this single spouse stuff? I want many spouses. What does it mean I can't gossip? But gossiping is so much fun. What does it mean I can't steal? Well, I can at least cheat on taxes. I mean, that's where our sinful flesh goes with these things. And when there are consequences for it, it's never fun and it's never pretty. Um, and, I mean, how many times have we as Christians done something and we look back and think, oh, if only I would have heeded the Lord's Word and, and not done this or that, I'd be in a better position right now. I mean, that, that's a point, too, here in Proverbs we need to make note of. For sure, and I think all of this is is bringing out one of the one of the pictures I think that we're seeing Solomon here. I, as I, as I've been reading the book of Proverbs so far and going forward, I'm trying to trying to see well what's the what's the picture that I need to have in my mind because it with with wisdom literature sometimes and with epistles and some of those forms of they're just more instructive teaching as opposed to a narrative. It, it can be hard sometimes. So, but there are pictures here, and I think one of the pictures here, and we're going to see this later come up. Again, is this idea of of rest and peace that that comes in life? This or, or healing is going to be part of that image, I think. Later, and I think that that's part of what Solomon is giving us already here in these first two verses is that you know, when we're when we're in the commandments of the Lord, He is going to give us good things. He's going to give us a peaceful life, and as you said, not perfectly. Because anytime we start talking about rest, we should be thinking forward to the ultimate rest that is ours in in Jesus Christ, who is our Sabbath. So, so I think that that's 
all of that is going on, and, and well, we could probably keep talking about it, Pastor Grotowitz, but let's let's keep going through the text because there's so much more. Okay. <laughs> so sure, sure. Verse, verses 3 and 4, you get another, I think, another image returns, at least in part. You get this idea of binding the gifts of the Lord around your neck. We've seen that image of clothing previously in the book of Proverbs. And and what, what Solomon says here is, he says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. And particularly the term steadfast love, that's a pretty big Hebrew word behind it that we should look at. Sure, yeah. Steadfast love, chesed, it's a huge word, and it occurs by far, hands down, most often in the book of Psalms. If you have a Bible software, you can look that up. But it's it's a love, really it's a love of God. So often in the Psalms, I was going to look for some passages, but I was finding them all over the place. So suffice it to say, it's all over the place in the Psalms to describe God's love. It is steadfast, towards us. It is immovable. He doesn't break his promises. His promises are there. His love is there. It is sure and certain. He's not going to be fickle or change his mind. And that is the kind of love we are called to have, not to let it abandon us, but the love of God. And then the term faithfulness. I mean, steadfast love and faithfulness, it just... it. Those two, those two uh, uh, phrases just go together like white on rice. We are to be faithful and have God's love and not let go of these things, but bind them around your neck, says Solomon. Write them on the tablet of your heart. I mean, that's just beautiful language, really driving home this point. You need to hold on to faithfulness. You need to hold on to steadfast love that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Don't let go of it. And... When we possess these things, we have favor, and then this, uh, this, this phrase, a good success or good repute, good favor might be a little bit of a better translation, in the sight of God and even men. So there's a double, um, double identity right there, God and man. You have favor and, and good sense in front of God and your neighbor by holding on to God's love being faithful and just walking in walking in the faith, walking in the love that the Lord gives you in Jesus Christ. Bind them around your neck. I mean, of course, the neck is, is huge, important for a variety of ways. Bind it there. Hold on to it and don't let go. Talk about a call to faithfulness. For sure. You know, I mean, oh, I've got a couple of thoughts here, Pastor Grotto. It says you were talking about the neck there. The I can't I know the Lord does this in the Old Testament. I can't pinpoint a specific spot. Maybe maybe somewhere in the first five books, he calls his people a stiff-necked people, and he, he uses yep. it in a negative connotation. But but here's a different sort of stiff-necked, that, that you would be stiff-necked because the Lord's Word is bound around you, and it is his steadfast love and faithfulness that make you firm, maybe is, is a way of thinking, but firm in the faith, not stiff-necked in your own sin, but stiff-necked in, in what the Lord has given you. The other, the other thought, that as, as, we were ta- as you were talking about this, is there in verse 4, the matter of finding favor and good success or, or good understanding in the sight of God and man. And we, we talked at the very beginning about seeing Christ in the book of Proverbs. And, and at the end of our text for today, there is going to be a very clear example. But here I think, you, you with that phrase in particular, I'm reminded of the way Luke writes when he's describing Jesus growing up, how Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature before God and men. And, and seeing that all that Solomon writes here to my son, to the sons of God, is done perfectly in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that, that he's the one that does these things perfectly, and he, he does that for us. Uh, sure, yes, yes. 
he does that for us. And when we, while we do slip and get out of the groove, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ does not do that. And as we do let go of the Word of God and so often unbind it around our necks and want to do what we want to do, our Lord Jesus doesn't. And I like that reference that you pulled up where he grows in wisdom and in stature before God and man. And that verse turns us to him and reminds us that even in our failings, we have he whose perfect obedience is our righteousness here and now. As we live by the Word of God and seek to hold on to the commandments, we stumble and we fall, but there is one who has not, and and he is very much our righteousness in this life and in the life to come. Now, Pastor Gradovitz, at the beginning of the program, we were talking about the book of Proverbs as a whole, and you mentioned there's lots of one-liners in Proverbs, particularly in chapters 10 and following. But verse 5 of chapter 3, maybe verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3, I think are another one of those one-liners. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen this crocheted and put on somebody's wall in, in some Christian's house. Maybe even in, I might have this in my, my own house, and I don't know. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. That would be a set of verses to memorize, and if there was a set to put on the wall, that would be one of them. We've got just about two minutes here before our break. Pastor Gratis, there's probably more to talk about than we have two minutes for, but start taking us into those verses. Yeah, there's always more that can be said, that's for sure. <laughs> but this is, yeah, this is a passage that I, too, have seen. It, it just, I, in my mind, I just remember seeing it so often. It's one that I memorized uh, very early on as a reader of Holy Writ, even before I went to seminary, and it's just pretty easy to memorize. It's clear, and it's one of the beauty, beautiful things of Proverbs. These are memorable verses in this book that you can just, just grab onto and walk the day thinking about them. And it's it's clear as a bell here, don't lean on your own understanding. Clear grammatically, extremely difficult for sinful people to do. That is to say, we don't, we should not trust in ourselves and lean and rely upon it. Um, we shouldn't rely upon our understanding, but look to our Lord for his wisdom. And that's the name of the game of Proverbs, right? To get us to adhere to divine wisdom and not ourselves. We talked about grooves in a record earlier, and here he shall direct your paths. So there's, there's quite a bit in Scripture about, you know, the right path, the right road. Certainly Jesus in Matthew 17 talks about the narrow and wide gate, and difficult is the way that leads to the narrow gate. Here God is saying, he will direct your paths, or he will make upright or straight your paths. And that word, therefore, direct, or making upright, making straight, I've got the New King James open. Let me just flip to my, my ESV here. That word for upright, that's another popular one in Holy Scripture. I was doing some work in Job the other day, and that word for upright, he's an upright and blameless person. So by having straight paths, that means you're on the upright path. You're on the path of righteousness, and God is the one who's going to put you on that path. And here, in this context of 5 and 6, you're on that path when you're not looking at yourself, you're not trusting in your own reason, which we are always prone to do, but we're looking to God, we're looking to His Holy Word, and relying upon that, even when the circumstances seem opposite, we are to look to His Word and trust in what He is saying and lean upon that against even our own reason when it goes haywire, and it so often does. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. 
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, August 27th. We are studying Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. We've got Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz with us. He serves as associate pastor and headmaster of Grace Lutheran Church in Brenham, Texas. Pastor Grotowitz, prior to the break, we were looking at verses 5 and 6, those wonderful verses for any Christian to memorize that we would not trust in our own understanding, but instead trust in the Lord and our ways acknowledge him because he's going to make our paths straight. We get that image of paths again, this important image in the book of Proverbs. As the text continues then, verses 7 and 8, it's certainly related to 5 and 6, that our wisdom would not come from ourselves, but rather from the fear of the Lord, and in that he gives us healing and refreshment. That Another one of those images, a great, great imagery here in Proverbs. Take us into 7 and 8. Right. This is a huge problem sinful people have. We become wise in our own eyes. This is the problem of Eve when she looks at the fruit and she determines by her own wisdom, hey, I should eat this, it looks good, and she goes for it, and the rest is history. We do it all the time. When we just think we know what is best, we think that we can just operate according to our own desires and will and so forth, and in doing so, we are acting as if we are the wise ones. And Instead, we should fear the Lord and not act as if he doesn't exist, doesn't care, or we can take his word for granted, read it here, discard it there, and just do what we want. No, we should fear the Lord, respect and hold dear his word, depart from evil, and understand and acknowledge we don't know everything, our reason does not reign supreme. We could go on and on discussing how this permeates society people who think they have the answers, and they are going to determine how things should be. That's a whole other radio segment unto itself, I believe. Here, uh, Solomon's wisdom, we need to heed it and really take it to heart to understand the Lord. The Lord is good to us, kind and faithful, and he's not holding anything out on us, meaning what we have is sufficient. We should depart from evil, knowing it is, as he says, health to our flesh and refreshment, uh, to our, to our dry bones. I mean, once again, going back to what we talked about initially, when we operate as sole agents apart from Christ, thinking we can just do what we want, it's not going to turn out well. Um, if not in this life, if not in this life, certainly in the life hereafter, the consequences are grim and eternal. It's weeping and gnashing in teeth for those who think they can operate in their own wisdom apart from God, apart from Christ. It doesn't turn out well, and the scriptures are, are, are clear about that. Hmm, right, but look at the the blessing though that there is there for those who who do trust in the Lord, who put their fear in Him and not in themselves or fear anything else. Now, as the text continues, you know, we get more verses nine and ten, perhaps, or the mm-hmm. 
the most dangerous spot when it might come to something like the prosperity gospel that you mentioned earlier is, is falling off too far of, of these blessings that we're talking about when we when we listen to the Lord's teaching and do it. So verses 9 and 10 talk about, I mean, just for to put it in modern context, like giving an offering to the church, the Lord promises that he will give even more than, than you can. How do we need to understand this? How do we fall off too far? What's the proper way to look at it? Yeah, so the proper way to look at it is these are gifts of God that he gives. In your barns being full, your vats will, will overflow with new wine. Once again, you know, we cannot discount the temporal dimension to this. That is to say, God giving good things to his people who are living by faith, like barns that are filled with plenty. There are rich people who are very, very faithful. Okay, There are rich people who have full barns, yet they are faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. There are people who don't have a lot. There are people who are, are, are poor, and yet they have faith, they know their Savior, and therefore they too have all things. And getting back to that eschatological sense we talked about earlier, and that is the most helpful way to see this, I believe, that is to say, once a person is endowed with faith by the Holy Spirit, always operating in His Holy Word, you are satisfied, you are full, you have everything you need. In that sense, your barns are certainly filled with plenty, and your, your vats overflow with wine, because you're operating by faith. I mean, the reason one honors the Lord with possessions, the reason why somebody gives offerings to the offering plate, the first fruits right at the top, you know, they are to do that as a cheerful giver, says St. Paul, someone who is happy to do it because they have, um, they have joy, they have faith. They know why they are doing this. Faith prompts them to do it. They're not doing it because I have to have that full barn, and that's where the prosperity gospel gets it so wrong. One, it makes the stuff formulaic. If you do this, God will do that. And I hope we've made that clear. That's not what Solomon is getting at here. But the prosperity gospel turns one to temporal, earthly prosperity. And that's the exact opposite of what Solomon wants us to look at. And as we get down a little further, he's going to compare the treasures of this world to the things of God. And there really is no comparison. They are not equal. So to suddenly look at these passages and think the prosperity gospel is being taught here ignores so much of Holy Scripture. Mm. These things God gives, certainly on a temporal level, but it's more important and helpful to us to see these things, you know, as that heavenly reward. Whether you're poor in this life, middle class, or you have a lot, what matters at the end of the day, your barns are full in Christ, meaning that you have all you need now, living in Him and the righteousness and mercy that He gives, knowing your sin is taken care of, and by that, you also have that heavenly reward when you go to be with Him and you are truly, fully experienced experiencing the satisfaction and contentment you have while basking in the glory of our Lord. I, th I think one of the—and I was thinking about this earlier, Pastor Grotto, when we were talking along the same lines as to where these rewards come to us, and certainly temporally and eternally, we've both—we've brought out both. And, and I wonder—there's uh, a, there's a verse, and I finally found it. It's in, it's in Mark 10. Jesus is, is talking to his disciples— 
about that rich young man who goes away sad because Jesus said you need to give everything away. He wouldn't do it. He's talking about how difficult it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The disciples, you know, are amazed and they say, well, who can be saved? Jesus says, with man, it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with him. And then, then you get this short interaction between the disciples and Jesus where Peter tells the Lord, look, we've left everything and followed you. And, and in Mark 10, 29 and 30, this is how Jesus answered. So I'm, I'm going to get to a point here eventually. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. All right. So, so there, I think you've got both things going on. You've got the, yes, Jesus promises that when we follow him, right, when we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not our own understanding, that he does give us what we need in this life. And he will also give us in the age to come eternal life. But the way that he phrases it there, where he talks about that in this, in this time, we will receive houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands. I, I think that also points to the blessings that we receive in this life, not in terms just of personal property, which I think is what, I mean, when I hear about barns and vats there in, in Proverbs 3, I'm thinking of my own personal property. But the physical blessings that I receive in this life are not only my own personal property, but also the physical blessings that are mine within the church. I mean, to go again to Jesus' words, where is it that I have houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children in this life. Well, it's not only in my own personal property or my own personal life, but it is also within the church that this is, and I I don't mean this to spiritualize it either, but just to point out another way of, of looking at what Solomon is saying, that the blessings of the Lord do come to us now in this life in physical ways. Yes, yes. We don't have have to be prosperity gospel believers to talk about that in a sober Christian way. The physical things, it could be personal property the Lord gives you. He gives you more than you have deserved or merited. Uh, even when we don't you know, follow his commandments perfectly, he is still a giver of all good things. And then certainly, too, in the church context, brothers and sisters in houses, we have congregations, buildings, but brothers and sisters in Christ— and that's a huge blessing. So even right now, you are not alone, because you have concretely spiritual brothers and sisters who belong to you by virtue of being in the family of God, a family that he has established, I mean, ultimately by his cross and blood. Hmm. So blessings really, I mean, all across the board, right? And we shouldn't make the mistake, you know, of discounting one at the expense of another, right? Or just putting our hearts on the temporal blessings and ignoring, well, there are some spiritual blessings as well. We want to keep it all before us and and receive as the Lord gives and and keep our hearts and minds in, in, in the right place. Right, right. The other the other thing I think that prevents against the prosperity gospel reading of the text that we've just got is verses 11 and 12. So on the one hand, honor the Lord with your wealth. He's going to fill your, your barns and your vats. But also don't forget that the Lord disciplines, the Lord reproves the one he loves. And so there will be times perhaps where your barns will not be full, your vats will not be overflowing. And in that, Solomon, in that and in other ways, of course, as well, Solomon calls upon his son, calls upon the children of God to not, not, uh, to appreciate the Lord's discipline. 
that's hard to do. We don't like to be disciplined. We don't like critique. Uh, we've seen that in our children, and certainly as we were growing up, you know, I never liked it when my mom and my dad got mad at me. And the Lord's discipline, too, can be can be very hard. And yet, Solomon says, don't despise it, right? Or detest his correction. Why? Because he loves you. As a father delights in the son, your Lord delights in you as his child. And because he delights in you, he cares enough to discipline and keep you on the right path. And the reason we need this discipline, even as Christian people, is because of that sinful flesh that wars against God and seeks to do his own thing. And as long as we are in this life, we carry that flesh around us. And I, too, think this is a great counterpoint to any, uh, any advocate of the prosperity gospel. Things are not always smooth in this life. And that discipline can come in a myriad of different ways. And it may be, you know, reducing you to just a few bucks in your bank account to make you to trust in him. It could be God taking away your health to where you don't rely upon your flesh as much and you begin to look to him all the more. Uh, I mean, it's it's not all that uncommon, I don't believe. I know I've experienced this as a pastor to see people go through a rough patch and suddenly, what do you know? They are in church. God be praised for getting them there. And if it took some discipline and hardship to do it, wow, then what a great thing that discipline and hardship is because through those times, these people realized, you know what? I can't be looking to the world for safety, help, and protection. I have to look to my God. And and we just rejoice. We should rejoice when the Lord works through these things and brings people into the fold. The psalmist, too, when I was looking at these verses, I thought about Psalm 119, when the psalmist says, it is good that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And that's a very pregnant verse in Psalm 119. I wrote down verse 41, excuse me, 71 in that section, where the psalmist says, the affliction is good. And that is a response of faith. You know, faith sees these things and doesn't, shouldn't grumble, because cause faith, you know, kind of sees behind the curtain. You know, when a pagan or unbeliever is suffering, that's all they see is the suffering and the pain. There's nothing good in this at all, period. That, that's as far as their eyesight goes. Faith can go a little deeper. It, it, it hurts, you may grumble, but in faith, we should say with the psalmist, however, this is good. This is a good time that I can grow in, a good time of God teaching me, disciplining me, and in that time, of course, our, you know, lest thoughts of guilt swell up within us, we look to Christ, we know our sins are forgiven, and in this trial, God can still work good, and he will take me through the end. Even if it's death, that's okay, the end is still good. The end being, the new wine is bursting forth from the vats, our barns are full, and here I'm talking about the heavenly reward. If that's where God takes us, hey, that is great, and he's good to do it on his own timetable. But that that parallel passage you brought up from Psalm 119, verse 71, I think is is excellent, that it is good for me that I was afflicted, because I think that's where Solomon takes us as the text continues. He gives us a, a beatitude. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, that even in the Lord's discipline, when the Lord's discipline leads to the wisdom for his children, then that one is blessed. So I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the text for us, Pastor Agrotto. It's This is Proverbs 3, now beginning at verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. 
Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. That's where our text for today ends at Proverbs 3, verse 20. So, Pastor Agrado, it's in, in verse 13 where Solomon speaks this beatitude, blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. Here the image becomes crystal clear. It, he's talking in terms of, I mean, you, you brought this out earlier, that true wealth is found not on this earth, but it is in the wisdom that God gives. And I think, again, a, a wonderful antidote here to any sort of prosperity gospel reading is found in these verses, particularly 13 through 18, really hammer out this image of where true wealth is found in the wisdom that God gives. Yes, yes. Another lesson for us who like money and, and chase temporal blessings, another strong uh, reaction here against anyone who might think prosperity on earth is what we need to set our hearts and minds on. Rather, one is blessed not when he has a fat bank account, but he has the wisdom of God. And this here is the wisdom of Christ. I mean, to be blessed, if you want to be blessed before God, to be blessed is to be in good stead, have his good favor and mercy upon you. And this happens by way of Jesus alone. So here, I, you know, I, I don't think we are out of bounds at all to say the wisdom that Solomon is talking about here is the wisdom of God in Jesus, and that is how you are truly, truly blessed. Whether you are poor, whether you are rich, what matters is you have Christ, and he has you. This is better than gold and silver. We do so many things in this life for money. Um, you know, it's St. Paul who says money is, is the root of all kinds of evil. Some translations will say all evil. It's the root of a lot of bad things. Uh, the Lord talks about it. When he says in Luke 16, uh, a man cannot have two masters. You cannot serve God and money. How many times have we done just a little bit of analyzing of some sort of socio-political situation, and we come up with the answer, which is money. It's being done for money. So Solomon's cry to the world right here is one we need to pay attention to. Having the wisdom of God and seeking his word is far infinitely better than you know, pearls of gold, silver, and jewels, because the heavenly treasures vastly outweigh what we have here and now. And faith, faith believes that. Our, our new man trusts in that. Again, the problem is always our, our sinful flesh getting in the way, telling us, well, you know, maybe heaven is good, but you know, the world's not that bad either. We've got to combat those thoughts and trust in our Lord, lest we get caught, you know, stealing, coveting, doing things wrongfully because we want to gain more of this world. That's bad, and that's not what matters in this life. What counts really is is the true wisdom and riches God gives. Hmm. I put, I mean, put it in context with who Solomon is as king too. Assuming he writes this later in his reign after he's seen more, it, I mean, think of the great wealth of Solomon. Solomon knows what gold and jewels and silver and all of these riches are personally, and so for him him to say it this way does does say something. The other. The other thing I, I think that, that is here, not just the wealth, but also the long life. As you said, how often can we trace something back to, well, they're doing it because of money. 
in the same in a similar way, how often do we do things in order to prolong our lives? We're, we're doing this in some way to avoid death. And, and Solomon gets at this as well. Verse 16, long life is in her hand. Verse 18, she is a tree of life, not the not the fountain of youth, but the tree of life is found in this gift of God's wisdom. So it is not is not money that is going to bring security in this life, and it is not some sort of pursuit of of a longer life here and now that is the goal of the Christian. Rather, as as you've been saying, the goal of the Christian is to hold on to the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus, and that is where true riches is found, and that is where not just long life but eternal life is actually found. Yeah, yeah, this is extremely comforting for our people, you know, especially those of us who get really wrapped up in how's our 401k doing? What's our Mm -hmm. retirement look like? Uh, You know, how are my investments, my portfolios? What's my insurance like? Am I going to have insurance? All these questions revolving around our own self-preservation, and it's easy to look at those things and get caught up in them, right? And think, you know, if all of this, insurance, portfolios, etc., are in place, and they're full with money, oh, then I can breathe easy. Well, A, when is that ever the case? There's always something going on. But B, okay, those things are, I mean, they've got a place, and that's good. The Lord can certainly provide through them. But look to Christ. Look to that true wisdom. Look to who has your life in his hands and will take care of you. It's not an insurance company. It's not a government. It's your Lord. You know, he has given you the tree of life in Christ, okay? You want the tree of life, take the wisdom of God. Take Christ. And when I say take him, I'm not advocating, you know, decision theology. Believe in what he's telling you. Hmm. Believe in him. Trust in him, and you have everything you need. I think that's tremendously comforting to preach to our people, lest they get caught up in their anxiety and their worries and just fall into depression, and in so doing, the devil... Uh, pulls them away from what the Word is telling us right here. Hmm. Pastor Gratis, we got about five minutes here on the morning. I want to make sure we get to these last two verses, because as you, as you yeah. said at the very beginning, it, this is where we do see one of those places in the book of Proverbs where we it's talking very clearly about Jesus. So, I mean, verses 19 and 20, if you're reading in the ESV, there's even a little space that the editors put in there. But as you're reading, I mean, you can kind of get a glimpse of it that it sounds different. What is going on there in verses 19 and 20? What is Solomon saying? Sure, yeah, and I do think it's a little bit of a gear shift right there. Well, by wisdom, uh, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth, understanding he established the heavens and by his knowledge and so forth. You know, at least Ambrose and Athanasius, and those are those are no, no two lightweights in the early church, but real big heavyweight figures, they saw this as the wisdom of God, who is Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. And granted, we do have at least two passages in the New Testament, uh, John 1.3 and Colossians 1.16, that very clearly state, by him, by him, Christ, and in him, all things were made. So Jesus wasn't just a bystander at creation, but he was an active participant in it. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there, active as creation is coming forth. So um, you know, I would take this with Ambrose and Athanasius to say, this is Solomon's testimony to the pre-incarnate Christ, that in him, this wisdom, you know, creation comes into being. And by this wisdom, you know, the heavens are established. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, the clouds dropped down the dew. This sounds, I mean, this language is so 
Genesis-esque, right? You know, it's just coming coming uh, full bore before us. So Solomon taking us back to the doctrine of creation, this wisdom that he is giving us is so important. It's not just instructive, but it's by this wisdom. The heavens and the earth are created. And the Christian reader who knows the Old and New Testament, it's not that far of a stretch to read these passages with Christ in mind and even say, you know what, the Holy Spirit here is testifying to Jesus. He was there at the beginning in creation, an active participant in creation, and he continues to create when, by the wisdom of God, by Christ, by the Holy Spirit, one believes. Faith is kindled, created, and the heart of stone now becomes a heart of life and lives according to the teachings of our Lord. As we make our way in this life, looking forward to uh, the great salvation Jesus has secured for us. Pastor Gratis, with just about two minutes here, as you reflect on these 20 verses from Proverbs chapter 3, summarize them for us, and again, point us to Christ crucified. Yeah, you know, and I feel like we've just hit the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> but um, to summarize, first commandment, fear, love, and trust in God alone. Fear, love, and trust in Him, and receive the mercy that He gives in the wisdom, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. Have Christ, trust in Him, and you are now wise to salvation. You have all you need, all the treasures, all sufficiency is found in Him, in what He has done in His suffering, death, and glorious resurrection. And now today, as He lives, we live. We die only to live because our Lord Savior lives and reigns in the heavens, and that's the true treasure we need to keep our hearts and minds on, and God be praised for sustaining His Church and preserving His Church to do just that. Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz serves as the Associate Pastor and Headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Pastor Agrotowitz, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure, Pastor Apple. Thank you for having me. True wisdom is found in Christ. That is wealth. That is long life. What Christ gives. Nothing that this world offers can compare. Trust in him alone. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.